Thank you, Michael. Uh, can I check? Can you hear me okay at the back? Um, I was going to say psychosis is a mystery to me as well. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll learn together. Um, so let's, let's open in a, in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for this uh, gathering of your people brought together with a common interest in the topic of mental health and how to help others better. So help us to uh, learn in this area and grow in this area today that we may be, be, be better equipped as your people to bring your life and hope and truth to those who are suffering, uh, that they may find uh, life um, and healing and hope in Christ. We thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for uh, braving the weather and the traffic. It's very, very bad today. Uh, for some of you, thank you for forsaking the Champions League semi-final. Some of you couldn't care less about that. Uh, any any Spurs supporters in the in the crowd? No. Any Liverpool supporters in the crowd? Oh, so good. I, uh, Everton, uh, so envious. My envy levels off the scale, but very 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 impressive. So. Uh, it might be a bit of a psychosis to think that Everton will one day have nights like that in Champions League. Uh, so we start off with the topic of uh, psychosis. So here we're talking about uh, what some, what the professionals would call kind of severe mental illness, which is really a misnomer. I don't like it because it kind of uh, implies that any other kind of mental illness is not severe, you know? whereas people can not have a psychosis or a psychotic illness and be very, very afflicted by their condition. So it's a, bit, a little bit of a, of a, nemo, of a misnomer, uh, although the term is about the SMI, SMI, serious mental illness, you know. Uh, so I just mentioned that to get it out of the way. Uh, the essence of psychosis, it involves a clear disconnection from reality. Uh, so it's quite obvious if somebody is uh, clearly psychotic or what we call floridly psychotic, it's not that hard to pick up uh, because they don't seem to be in touch with what's really going on. And they believe things and they experience things which are not in keeping with what is actually happening. Although, important to say that it's very real in their minds. So even though it may not be uh, real based in reality, uh, always remember, in their minds, it's extremely real. <laughs> Probably even more real than reality itself. So the importance of, of not kind of ch challenging too much and saying, you know, that's not what you think, is it? Or that, you know, that can't be right, is it? C can it? Um, because in the person's mind, it's very, very fixed. You know? So more helpful to say, you know, I, I can see how that's affecting you. I understand that that's what you see. Or I appreciate that this is very real to you. Um, rather than trying to challenge. 
the uh, core symptoms, the core features then, are delusions and hallucinations. And I'll define those in the next, in the next slide. At the same time, you have other symptoms, other features of psychosis. Often the thought flow or the, the, the way of thinking is disjointed or goes off track or is interrupted. Um, uh, people may stop halfway, mid-sentence, um, lose their train of thought. So the thoughts can get very disordered. Uh, in some extreme cases, there's very grossly abnormal behavior. So some people can be, uh, you know, what we call catatonic, uh, stiff and not move, or hold very extreme, strange positions. These are very kind of rare manifestations. And then there's another term called uh, negative symptoms, which is a little bit harder to pick up. It's sort of a loss of volition, a loss of motivation, a loss of emotion, a loss of feeling, a sort of a blunting of the person's demeanor, uh, which is difficult because that depression can look like that or dementia can look like that. Uh, so that in itself is not enough to uh, diagnose somebody as having a psychosis. Clearly, we uh, strive to avoid uh, pejorative terms like crazy and nutter and psycho and loony and all that. We, you know, obviously, we don't go anywhere near those, those terms. So, uh, delusions. The textbook definition, or one textbook definition, uh, false, false fixed belief that is out of keeping with a person's socio-cultural context. And that last bit is important. It's really out of keeping with what you expect the person or, or their community or their society to uh, believe. Uh, and this is important because uh, if you think about it, right, in the, the Christian faith, if you're honest about it, we have some really quite hard-to-believe beliefs if you weren't, you know, uh, born again, uh, open to the truth, had your eyes opened and had things revealed. Some of the things we, we, we believe in about um, what's happened in history and about what is happening now and about what is going to happen in the future uh, with Christ coming back in a new heavens and a new earth and all that. You know, that, that's pretty uh, hard to, to believe if you're not in, in the faith, you know, and yet we wouldn't regard that as a, as a delusion because it's, a, it's held by a, you know, millions, billions of people um, and, and there's a whole culture, there's a whole society, there's a whole uh, a belief system that's accepted in, in general culture. So it's very different to believe that, right, than to believe that you were Jesus Christ himself, um, born to a Virgin Mary yesterday uh, and... Uh, was on a mission to save the world today. Now, that would be very, very uh, out of keeping with the person's socio-cultural context. And then hallucinations. Uh, again, textbook definition, an experience or experiences involving the apparent perception of something not present. So commonly hearing voices or seeing things or feeling things some people even smell things and taste things that you can't see an obvious uh, 
source for that stimulus to be coming from. Yeah. Now again, very important, is very real to the person. So if they're saying, you know, I'm hearing a voice of my grandmother or of a, a police spying on me, you know, it's very real to them, even though you can't really see any evidence of anyone talking to them at the time. And that's just the brain working in that way. Uh, as, as before last week, just interrupt if you want to ask any questions. I'm more than, more than happy to, to stop. I think you recognize this uh, concept, a spectrum between symptoms and syndrome. And I've applied it again to the topic of uh, psychosis. So you've got psychotic symptoms and psychotic disorders again, based on those criteria of intensity, persistent risk, distress, and, and function. Uh, I've listed down the more common psychotic disorders. So uh, a condition called schizophrenia. Uh, bipolar disorder can involve um, a psychotic element to it. Not always, but can involve psychosis. Some cases of uh, severe depression can also lead to somebody uh, being, becoming psychotic, becoming detached from reality. Um, some you know, people who believe that their body is literally rotting away or being eaten by worms, uh, that they're fading away literally. Uh, and people in a very depressed state can develop very severe, detached uh, kinds of disconnected kinds of thinking uh, and organic conditions so uh, physical things due to physical problems in the brain itself I forgot to put down an obvious thing a drug what we call a drug induced psychosis perhaps might be the most common presentation of an acute psychosis in mental health services the effect of uh, uh, drugs illicit drugs on a person's mental state can be very dramatic. And also, uh, if somebody has a predisposition towards a psychotic disorder, psychotic illness, then drugs can be one uh, factor that unmasks that or triggers that, sometimes for the first time. So drugs and vulnerability are not a good combination. A lot of debate about cannabis and whether or not cannabis leads to psychosis, and that, that's been... That's been debated. But I think if you, if, you, if you have a vulnerability towards psychosis and cannabis, is not a good idea, I would say. Yeah. A few statistics. Overall prevalence of a psychotic disorder in the past year was 0.5% of the adult population, similar between men and women. In one survey... 2% of the population screened positive for bipolar affective disorder, highest rates in the 16 to 34 age group. I'm going to talk a little bit about bipolar disorder towards the end of this session. So, uh, some concepts uh, we can consider neurobiological, or more physical based theories. Um, psychosocial theories 
and then bringing the two together in uh, uh, the, the, the most common way of thinking about psychosis and conditions like schizophrenia in terms of an integrated uh, developmental model. So the neurobiology, uh, I can't claim to understand all of, the, all of this myself, <laughs> even though we uh, prescribe medication to try and regulate people's uh, uh, brain chemicals, uh, confession, we don't always know exactly how they work. Uh, oftentimes, there's a lot of trial and error in real life, uh, psychiatric Treatments have not reached the, the level of uh, specificness where you can target specifically uh, you know, to an individual person's makeup and know exactly what to use. Uh, oftentimes, and in fact, the norm would be to try something. If it works, all well and good. If it doesn't work, try something else. And, and there's a protocol to follow in trying different things. So it's not an exact uh, science. And I think that reflects how really mental illness is a complicated matter. Uh, mental illness can't be boiled down to chemical imbalance. It's very simplistic to say that somebody has schizophrenia because of a uh, dysfunction in their dopamine system. It's a lot more than that. And I think that's, that's the message to, to bring across. So when we're thinking about neurobiology, we're thinking things like a person's genetic makeup, the way their brain is wired in terms of the structure and the function of the brain, the way the chemicals flow in the brain and the different nerve cells talk to each other. Um, there's thought about um, things that happen during birth and uh, during pregnancy and birth and in, things that could impact on the, the person's brain development during pregnancy and birth. So, um, maternal malnutrition, infection, complications during birth, if it's a very difficult birth or if the brain is starved of oxygen. And more lately, uh, a lot of interest in the role of uh, the immune system and in inflammation as being a uh, causative mechanism for a whole host of mental disorders, uh, psychosis included. So a lot of interest in inflammation. Um, actually, there's also a lot of interest in the uh, gut bacteria. <laughs> I've never heard of this. It hits the news every so often. The, uh, how your the, the 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 colonies of, of bacteria that naturally live in your your gut and the balance of that can have a very can have a, a link with your mental health. You know, this is a, an area that people are looking more and more into. Uh, the chemical that's often associated with the condition schizophrenia is a chemical called dopamine. And uh, a simplistic understanding would be this. Somebody with schizophrenia has too much dopamine floating around in their, in their brain. That's very, that's very simplistic. Um, uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. But uh, at the same time, a lot of the medications that we use for psychosis aim to uh, calm down the dopamine transmission and to 
uh, bring some control over that particular chemical system, dopamine. Uh, this is a bit more tricky to, to uh, explain because uh, I don't know an awful lot uh, about the, the, the work that's gone into this, but this is what sort of, again, what the textbooks would say are some of the psychosocial uh, factors that might contribute to the development of uh, psychosis. So you've got things like urban birth, uh, migration, ethnic minority status, living alone. Um, I, I struggle to... Uh, I, I, it's, it's hard to understand exactly how that might be related, uh, but there is some uh, evidence for that. Childhood trauma, uh, life events and difficulties, and also the uh, kind of environment that a person grows up in, whether it's... Uh, unstimulating or overstimulating. Uh, so these are some of the sort of psychosocial factors involved. Now, yeah. No, because I don't fully understand why. <laughs> I, I got that from a textbook. <laughs> um, well, you can, uh, uh, you, I think you get into uh, com- more complicated social factors of what does it mean to, to have an urban birth and maybe more disconnection from society, less community. Um, I don't really, I, I couldn't really know. I'd have to read up a, a bit more about that. But uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. 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 That's the answer. <laughs> Can you come here and repeat that? <laughs> oh, we, oh, we got that on tape. <laughs> so you're you're into uh, uh, deprivation, substance misuse, maybe criminality, uh, all the social factors converging into uh, a particular environment. Uh, but it's that kind of thing that we're talking about. So, thank you. Very good. But that, uh, the thing is, you could say the same, those things affect all mental health. <laughs> so you could argue that, you know, you could say the same about uh, depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, basically anything you can think of. So, but that's very well said. Thank you.
so to to then uh, bring those two things together uh, is the way we generally think about uh, how psychosis develop. Yeah, we have a, a diath- diathesis stress model. Diathesis meaning predisposition or vulnerability. So somebody already has a vulnerability towards developing a psychosis, and the factors, many factors contribute to that, including genetic factors and psychosocial factors. Somebody is sitting with a vulnerability, and that vulnerability may not, may or may not be expressed uh, as a full-blown illness or disorder, uh, depending on what the person is then exposed to as they move along life. Um, and the stress that comes upon that person, the stress upon the person's vulnerability then uh, produces the illness at a certain time in their life. Uh, so you could argue, you know, if somebody has a vulnerability but they are not put under certain kinds of stress, will they become ill? I think it depends on the level of vulnerability. If they're very vulnerable, even a small amount of stress too much drugs can precipitate an illness. Yeah. If they only have a small vulnerability and they have resilient in other ways and they have a protective environment, maybe not, or maybe not so severely. So you've got all those different uh, uh, combinations. If you have somebody with strong vulnerability and a lot of stress, <laughs> then naturally you're, you're looking at a, at a more negative outcome. Yeah. So we think diathesis stress model. Now, uh, you should recognize this slide from the previous talk on stress and anxiety and depression. It's exactly the same, and that's deliberate because uh, my, the point I'm making is that you, know, you can think about these mental health mental illnesses, mental health conditions, really with, with a similar broad framework because you can apply, each of those areas apply to uh, psychosis as well in, in different degrees for different conditions. Uh, so in uh, psychosis, out of all those different things, yeah, the things which we tend to put emphasis on uh, in terms of helping somebody would be medication. Medication kind of comes into its own in a psychotic illness. It, it has real uh, use, usefulness, uh, real, real potential for uh, resolving acute distress uh, and therefore reducing acute risk and also for uh, helping people gain a, a, a good quality of life and to be able to function in society. So among all the mental health conditions, um, medication for psychosis uh, really has, has its place. Um, and, and therefore, in, 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 in the church, it, it, it would be you know, foolish to tell anyone not to take their medication if it's been properly prescribed and somebody's looking after it, yeah. but it would be really <laughs> unwise to 
uh, tell somebody with a, with a psychotic illness to stop taking their medication without proper assessment and guidance and, and advice. Uh, also, uh, activity, uh, structure, helping people gain a sense of structure and purpose in their everyday life uh, is a, a real emphasis. Uh, a lot of people who suffer from psychosis really have very severe breakdowns and they are not able to function. You know, they have to drop out of their education or their work. They often end up uh, in hospital sometimes against their wishes for long periods of time. Uh, so their whole uh, structure, the whole framework of their life is disintegrated. Uh, and to help them, once they recover uh, from their uh, illness, you know, it's only kind of step one. They have to, now you think, how do you rebuild a life that you once had or maybe even didn't have? How do you get back into some form of um, you know, good quality functioning within society? So the whole area of structure. Uh, link, linking in with that is, is rehabilitation. So a lot of what mental health services do is um, teach people like basic living skills uh, social skills, how to care for themselves, how to relate to other people, how to manage their, 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 their time and their, uh, uh, their, the day in front of them. Um, because, again, uh, depending on when, when the illness uh, strikes, you know, some people may not have learnt even basic skills for living and relating to other people. They have to learn from scratch. You know. Others if they've been uh, well or they've been functioning at a certain level uh, before they became ill, then a little bit easier than they already have some basic skills to draw upon. So when they get better, they can return to their level of functioning. Yeah, I think if you, if, if you watch TV and movies, you, you, you'll know that uh, there's quite a, a, a range of uh, people with some of these more serious mental illnesses, um, some quite high achieving. <laughs> and you hear sometimes university professors able to <laughs> maintain, have to carry on with their career or even achieve their career in spite of having quite serious um, illnesses um, on the one hand. On the other hand, lots of people have not been able even to have uh, a job ever, you know, and struggle to live on their own and need constant support and, and supervision. Uh, the social connection is uh, uh, also important because, again, if you had a psychotic episode, you, you know, your whole world falls apart, all your social connections get disrupted, uh, it's very hard to get along with people. People find it very hard to get along with, with you and all that needs to be repaired so that the person uh, does not feel even more alienated from others. <laughs> they are maybe already feeling paranoid and on their own and isolated um, and if uh, there's no kind of community around them or no, no way for them to have meaningful social contact, then you can imagine how that person would feel on top of what they already feel. Again, uh, 
a place where the, the church, there's potential for a church to be providing that kind of uh, stable, accepting, understanding community that people look for. There's a term in, uh, when talking about mental health conditions and especially the more severe mental illnesses, there's a term that's used sort of recovery and having a recovery ethos. Again, that's another uh, misnomer, in my opinion, because what, that, that implies that you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not concerned with recovery in, uh, in other mental health conditions, and of course you are. You know, you're interested in recovery in every mental health condition, but it's got a particular um, sort of uh, meaning uh, in the area of psychosis, because here you're, you're, you're talking about people who have um, likely to have long-standing conditions yeah, that where the expectation is not necessarily cure. And well, in fact, it's not cure as in the underlying disease process or the illness process goes away altogether. It's about symptom control and it's about improving quality of life. And to do that, the person then needs to have a say in that. A person himself needs to be empowered and have the autonomy and the ability to influence what way that their treatment is going to go. If it's going to be a lifelong thing and it's going to shape how their life goes. So we're moving away from paternal approaches where, you know, medicate people and keep them in hospital a long time until somehow their society deems them well enough or safe enough to live in the community. Nowadays, care is moved very much more out of institutions into the community but in doing so, uh, we need to help people feel that they're part of it and actually have rights and are able to speak for themselves and have a voice in how their treatment is going um, and not overtake and be overly controlling of that. That's my understanding of, of the recovery ethos. Now, uh, I'm going to touch on... Uh, just bipolar disorder, because it's quite a, it, it comes up quite a bit in, in society, I think, uh, previously called manic depression, and that gives you a sense of perhaps what it's about. It's, it's when you have uh, cyclical moods uh, going from one extreme to the other, or, or more precisely, um, it is uh, if it is the, the, the key uh, thing to look out for is whether the person has an episode of what we call mania or hypomania. That, that's the key distinguishing feature to, to uh, call it a bipolar disorder. Otherwise, it's, if somebody is, uh, has recurrent episodes of depression only, then that's called recurrent depression. Uh, but if there is even one episode of mania, and I'll, and I'll, next slide, even if, there's, if the person has one episode, one sort of convincing episode of mania, that's enough to get them a diagnosis of uh, bipolar disorder. Um, hypomania is a slightly less severe form of man mania, and if they have hypomania plus depression, there's, an, there's a clear episode of hypomania and depression, at least one then the person has uh, what we call a bipolar type 2 disorder. 
I'll, I'll come to that. So this is the uh, criteria, diagnostic criteria, or the, the descriptive criteria for a manic episode in the uh, sort of psychiatric sense of the word. Some of us use the term manic to describe busy, he's had a manic week, or he's a bit manic if he's excited. Liverpool supporters last night, you know. But this is the psychiatric uh, definition. So it's an extreme mood state lasting at least one week, characterized by euphoria, irritability, or expansiveness. Uh, And that is quite important, that point, because some of you are manic, you kind of think that they're just high, euphoric, or or grandiose, feeling great. But sometimes the presentation can be one of irritability, and anger, and we can sometimes miss uh, the, the mania if it's more of an irritability rather than an a, a elation or, an, or euphoria. Uh, there, is an, there is increased activity or a subjective experience of increased energy. So, so you can clearly say seem to be uh, on a Duracell uh, battery and, and on the go more and more active. Uh, and then accompanied by other characteristic symptoms, uh, speaking fast, uh, flight of ideas meaning, meaning you know, go, starting on one topic and going off to another topic and going off to another topic and getting kind of lost in the, in the conversation. Um, increased self-esteem or grandiosity, believing that they have, some people believe that special powers, jump off buildings, or that they're going to you know, save society. Uh, there's a decreased need for sleep, distractibility, impulsive or reckless behavior, and rapid changes among different mood states. Now, it's, so that's, it's, it's quite a dramatic presentation, that. And uh, not, if somebody is really manic, especially if they are uh, euphoric and elated, it's really quite obvious. It's, a bit, it's hard to miss. It may be a bit hard to miss if they're irritable, uh, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's a very dramatic mood state. If somebody in your church service this Sunday was manic, you'd probably know it. <laughs> you'd probably be able to notice. It's not, it's not hard to miss uh, this one. You know. um, hypomania, hypomanic then, is... Um, pretty much the same kind of presentation, but less severe. So, uh, first of all, it it may be shorter time, less than a week, lasting a few days, you know, less of a less, less, less obvious, less dramatic. And And the distinguishing feature in the classification system is that um, it is, although it represents a change from the baseline, it's not severe enough to cause a marked impairment in functioning. So this is a bit harder to detect because people can still go about doing what they're doing. They may seem a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit strange, a little bit odd, a little bit hyper, you know, but they're, but they're not um, crashing and they're not causing uh, uh, disruption around them. 
and they're still able to function in the way that they've done before. So hypomania is a bit harder to actually pick up and harder to, di- to, to diagnose because it can go more unnoticed. And it takes quite a careful uh, history, taking of the history, and it takes a good knowledge of what the person's baseline is when they are well. So if you have a, a, a baseline of a certain level and then every few weeks they seem to be at this level, scurrying about, functioning, speaking faster, not sleeping, great ideas, and then they come down again. Then you start to think, oh, does this person actually have a, have a genuine uh, mood disorder or a bipolar disorder? That would be type 2 bipolar disorder. So the, 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 this bipolar disorder is a bit trendy. And, um, and it's trendy because there's a, there's a, there's a long list. You can Google this. If you Google list of celebrities with bipolar disorder, there's a whole wiki, Wikipedia page dedicated to, to this. Um, and uh, there, there's even you know, articles about people describing how people kind of want to be bipolar. <laughs> and, it's, and I think it's possibly because uh, it, it's been portrayed as something which is not necessarily uh, a bad thing because if you can be as successful as uh, Mel Gibson or uh, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones or Stephen Fry, well, you know, that can't be a bad thing. And, and for some people, also kind of, it's a way that creativity is, is, uh, is, is unleashed. So it's almost seen as, as, as a, actually a, a good thing, especially if it doesn't ruin your life, especially if it doesn't result in you spending long periods in hospital, not able to work or function or have relationships. You know? So you're talking about the, the more of the hypomania uh, type 2 bipolar. I think I, I would suspect most of the celebrities who become famous for having a diagnosis tend to be more of the type 2 type rather than the very florid type 1 bipolar. You know. But it's just something to be, to be, to be aware of and, and, and psychiatrists actually have to some, sometimes hold back from being too quick to diagnose bi- bipolar if we think somebody is uh, being influenced by what culture is like and what they would like to be identified as. You know. it's, a, it's a slight tricky one. Also, a, 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 a genuine uh, challenge for treatment is uh, that, if you, if, you think, if you think about it, some of the symptoms of mania, hypomania, actually can be quite welcome, <laughs> especially if, you've, if you suffer from depression, you know, to feel high, is, is a great relief, and it, it's, it's wonderful for, uh, before it starts to, get, to become a problem. Uh, and, and some people say, you know, why, why would I want to stop that? Why would I want to take medication that's going to level my mood and take away the highs? So it can be quite a challenge to sell to people, you know. Uh, uh, actually, if you look at your whole life, at, at what the direction of travel is, you know, you're actually struggling quite a bit in terms of managing your life, you could get further on in life if you manage things, if things were a bit more stable for you overall. You know? But that can, be a, that, can be, that can be a hard sell to somebody who knows what it's like to be in the pits of despair and then feel on top of the world. <laughs> you know? You know, how, how do you convince someone that actually that's not good for you? <laughs>
I don't know. I don't know. The question was, is there any relationship between mania and high IQ? Intelligent quotient? I don't know. Does anybody know, know that? I, I'm not aware. Myself. Anyone out there? Uh, there was a psychiatry trainee sitting here just now. Where has she gone? <laughs> she can be my, my backup. Uh, don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Um, good question. Good question. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you for sure. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's a good point. Um, and maybe it's accentuated in situations where you have a very clearly high functioning, highly capable person with bipolar. Somehow it's kind of highlighted that this can happen or this is the case. Yeah. Whereas perhaps if you look at all the high-functioning, high-capacity people in your neighborhood and worked out the percentage of how many of them have bipolar, uh, you might then realize that actually most of them don't, <laughs> and only a small number do. You know? But maybe it's more accentuated if, if, they, if they do have it, especially if they, if they are open about it and if they speak about it. But it's a great question. I'm not aware... Nothing jumps up to me that there's a clear connection between high IQ and mania. But, could be wrong. Yeah. Okay, okay. If, yes, if they, uh, you're, then you're into the, the concept of insight. So again, real variation between the level of insight somebody has about their illness, ranging from people like that who, they may, when, when they're acutely unwell, may not be very insightful, but if it's properly and adequately treated, they can then look back and say, gosh, I was really unwell during that time. Some people can say during an illness <laughs> they perhaps have, a, have an understanding that, you know, I'm having these experiences um, I know it's not, you know, I know it's an illness, I know it's not right, they can actually have some reflection on what, what, what's going on, uh, ranging from others who have completely no insight whatsoever even when they're unwell or even when, when they're not so unwell, they still deny that anything's wrong with them at all, so there's a real range of level of insight um, and then the other point just to make is the uh, suicide risk with bipolar yeah? it kind of you have got to think about both poles both ends you know so somebody who is uh, severe depression is at higher risk of, of self-harm even suicide uh, and if you can imagine somebody who's gone from very high to very low, you think, wow, that's a, you know, if you were that person, you think, this is the end, you know. I was there, but now I'm down here. So the, the despair, I think, can be greater on that level. You know? 
But then also, uh, and suicide may not be the, quite the right word, but somebody who is very elated, ma- who is manic, and believes that they can do things, uh, you know, you can die from exhaustion, I suppose, in one sense, if you, if you believe you can jump off buildings or fly, and you try and do that when you're very unwell, you know, not, you don't get a good outcome. Uh, that, that may not be quite suicide in the, in the true sense of the word, but still the, the risk of a uh, serious harm to self uh, with bipolar disorder. So the question about how does a family, what's the way a family can deal with somebody who is manic or even hypomanic? Uh, I suppose, again, it depends on the individual situation. It depends on the will, person's willingness, uh, level of insight, willingness to get help, uh, what sort of help is available, how quickly can it come. If Strictly speaking, if we're talking mania, mania is quite a serious, Ill, quite a serious episode. And, and, and usually the, the question of uh, hospitalization comes in much sooner if somebody's really, especially if they're risky, if they're doing things that putting them at risk. Those situ- situations usually end up crisis call, GP, assessment under the mental health order. If they have no insight, they usually end up being detained in hospital for their safety and the safety of others if it's such a florid condition. You know. It's the ones that, if it's not so dramatic and uh, the person is unwell uh, but not at immediate risk, uh, then you're into, again, what type of help are they getting? How much can you collaborate with, with that? What is their social structure like? What support do you have as a family member for yourself to vent and, and gain, gain support? You're into how do you persuade the person to take the medication if they're not taking it or to engage in, in treatment. So then you're into a whole, having a whole plan, trying to work together with whatever, whatever professional sources of help are available. A lot of pulling out the hair when, when uh, frustration when the person doesn't follow any of the advice given and... But at some point, if it, if it goes into increased risk of harm to self or others, then usually intervention becomes more necessary. You know. So those are some thoughts I offer to you about that. Okay. Uh, one slide on this topic, because it kind of ties in with the bipolar disorder. There is a, a, um, a condition that we call... Uh, borderline personality disorder, often related to people who have very, very difficult life stories, a lot of trauma or neglect or deprivation. These are very sad cases where people have uh, not had a good start in life at all, and they've learned uh, to cope in very unhelpful ways, and their whole system is primed towards being unstable and overreactive and a bit paranoid uh, and they turn to mechanisms to try and uh, cope and manage uh, which themselves are harmful like self-harming or drinking too much or being promiscuous uh, and, and these are very damaged um, 
individuals who need, again, uh, good help. For a long time, personality disorder was uh, looked down upon in mental health services as not treatable or just bad behavior, and often it's been a neglected area. Not so anymore. Personality disorder is gaining more credibility, more notice, more research, and quite rightly so, because these people have these sufferers are, are very um, treatable. Uh, they're by no means beyond hope. Uh, uh, treatment takes a long time, a lot of effort, a lot of ups and downs, but they are, they are treatable. Now, why I mention this is uh, because churches can struggle. Uh, these, people are, these people, you know, are often looking for uh, a place to belong, for people to care and to love them and to help meet their needs. And oftentimes their, their needs overwhelm, can overwhelm congregations. Uh, they might uh, frequent phone calls to the pastor or to the elder, um, two in the morning threatening self-harm if the pastor doesn't come to, come to see them, uh, getting very disappointed that the pastor didn't say hello to them uh, that, that Sunday. They become very understanding. They can be a drain. That's not the right word. They can, be a, they can pose a challenge to... Uh, a, a congregation. So, you know, uh, to me, uh, it, this one takes planning. And this is the, the awareness. If somebody's like that in the congregation, it's good to have a, a few people gather together, maybe the leaders, the pastor, elder, saying we need, we need to have a strategy for how to provide support and love without burning out, yeah? and without going overstepping what we can do as a church or a local congregation. Um, So it does take thought. It takes good discussion with the person, uh, setting appropriate boundaries, knowing how to support the person to access emergency services at two in the morning and not ring, inappropriately ring a church member who's not going to be able to help anyway. Um, So this takes a particular challenge that takes thought and coordination. I, I heard of one church somewhere who said, you know, it took like 30 people working together to provide enough structure and support and guidance and, uh, you know, uh, eyes on the person to help that person get safely through the weeks and the months. Um, so it, the main thing is that it takes thought. Um, and uh, oftentimes, uh, if people don't realize in a church what's happening, that this is the kind of uh, situation that can evoke lots of strong feelings and, and also different views from different people, uh, then, you know, someone like this can even split a church <laughs> up and, and create a lot of um, difficult problems to, to deal with. And lastly then uh, just throw out some a couple of resources if you're interested in reading more Uh, An Unquiet Mind Kay Redfield Jameson is a psychology professor who talks about her own history of bipolar disorder and there is an organization called Hearing Voices Network that tries to help people cope with the experience of hearing voices uh, without necessarily over-relying on uh, 
medication. So that was a, a manic stroll, a manic ride through uh, psychosis. Are there any comments or questions? Yeah. I know. I know, I know. That's a great question, yeah. Uh, It's, uh, with my psychiatry hat on, okay, is non-existent. So so in the secular field, people do not consider uh, the demonic or spiritual oppression or spiritual conflict as being something to take seriously when thinking about a clinical case. So from my point of view, uh, from, so from that side of things, in fact, the spirit itself isn't a, a recognized entity, let alone spiritual evil or personal spiritual evil or spiritual uh, evil forces. You know, from that point of view, uh, that's the current, more or less the current position. From a church point of view, much more interesting, of course, because, you know, how do we factor in the reality of the third party and, and the evil realm um, uh, in, in influencing people and influencing people who have mental health problems? And what's, um, to cut a long story short, I, I have really another one. I have no real idea um, of how it all really works, apart from saying that all of us are influenced by, by the, the uh, different spiritual forces all the time. You know, so we're, all, we're, we're living in a battle zone, in a war zone all the time. How it relates to specific episodes of psychosis, specific episodes of mental illness, um, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I have some thoughts, but... Uh, they're, they are not well formed, and it's a bit of a mystery to me, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I would obviously definitely not go down the path of concluding that somebody is demon-possessed um, if they are presenting with bizarre features um, to do that in any way lightly <laughs> without a thorough assessment, psychiatric included, pastoral, prayer, discernment, wisdom. Um, I, I've very little experience in, in deliverance and that kind of thing. So maybe others here can comment on that. So that's my uh, sort of answer to that. Okay. I wonder if we got the ice cream machine today, but although it's not a day for ice cream machines, so tea and coffee, I, I suspect, is uh, in order. So we'll break for, I think, 15 minutes or so, and then... Come back for part two.